Lord, we thank you for your word to us, and sometimes your word's clear, sometimes your word is a bit hard for us to understand, but we pray that this morning you would give us some insight into your word and into what this chapter is saying, and that you would uh, change us through your word. Amen. Well, it's great to be with you, uh, nice to, to be invited, and I do want to take the opportunity to thank the leadership team for all that they're doing in keeping this church going during the uh, spell without a vicar. Um, loads of stuff is, uh, well, it's all just going on, isn't it? I mean, the, the only problem, the only danger is that you end up thinking, well, who needs a vicar anyway? <laughs> but uh, I think we've probably found that we do. And um, uh, the process, as you know, is, is ongoing. Keep praying for us uh, all, especially on the 2nd of November when we have the interview. Uh, good to hear that Deb is going to be fasting from gaming. Uh, it um, says a lot about this church, in any case, that in a gap between vicars, like we have now, when various people are doing the preaching, and some of them are quite new to it, you've decided to do a sermon series on Revelation. Now, what, what's that Simon's doing? Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> thought it might have been. Uh, well, good for you, eh? Uh, <laughs> why not have a sermon series on Revelation? It is a bit tricky to understand sometimes, but I do like it, uh, because um, uh, five years ago, Anne and I uh, did a tour of the seven places which the letters of chapters one to three that you've just finished doing, those letters to the seven churches, we went round those places um, and uh, it was very interesting to do that. We also visited Patmos, and if we turn on the picture, that is the island of Patmos. And that is where St. John was exiled when he had this revelation. He had this amazing vision, which he wrote down in this book that we now call the Revelation. Uh, that's the island. It's quite a small island. It's very popular with tourists now because of its connection with the, the book of Revelation. But even today, it's such a barren island that the drinking water has to be brought on by ship each day. There is no natural water, no rivers, no streams. It's just a volcanic island and uh, has no natural water. So you can imagine, way back in John's day, it was a very inhospitable place and it was really a prison island. And it was where he'd been sent by the Romans who didn't like what he was doing in um, Ephesus where he was the, uh, the main Christian leader. They exiled him as an old man to the island of Paphos. And, uh, Patmos, rather. And uh, in that um, island he had this vision. Now, um, where exactly was he when he had the vision? Well, it's a pretty small island, and tradition states that he was in this cave, which is the next picture, and uh, it very probably was. I mean, if it wasn't there, it was somewhere very close. But it's rather moving to go to that place, and uh, it is a cave. It's got a few sort of hangings around it now that the, uh, the church has put there. But the, um, the, the red silk thing hanging down on the right there is 
meant to be the ledge where he actually wrote it down. Well, maybe, I don't know. Uh, but certainly as a, as a cave, uh, he could well have been there. That could have been uh, the actual spot that he received this revelation from God, if not there, somewhere very close. And it was quite moving to be there in that place and to read the words from Revelation and to sing, Worthy, O oh, worthy are you, Lord, as, as Christian believers in that very place where St. John had this vision that we're looking at today. Now, sometimes people say that uh, the Bible is a difficult book because it's such a long book and it hasn't got any pictures. Well, actually, it's not one long book, is it? It's 66 short books. Uh, that's quite a lot, but you know, when you look at the contents page, you find it's 66 books, many of which are quite short. The book of Revelation itself isn't very long, 20-some chapters. And also, a lot of it, especially Revelation, is full of pictures. Not drawn pictures or painted pictures, but pictures in words. And so you might think um, it would be easy, therefore, to understand what Revelation 4 is about because it's clearly a word picture. It's using words to describe a very graphic picture of worship in heaven. That's what it is. It's a picture of worship in heaven. So all we need to do, we might think, to understand it is to put those words into a painting and then you've got it. You can see what it's about. So that's the next picture. Somebody has done that. They've taken the words from this chapter and they've interpreted it very literally. So you've got um, the various things uh, uh, there. You've got God at the center. You've got a sort of rainbow that looks like an emerald. So it's a green rainbow. You've got seven lamps which are mentioned. You've got 24 elders, each with a crown on. And you've got four living beings flying around the top with um, wings and as we'll see in a minute they have different faces but you can't see that very well on this picture and also there are a few eyes hanging around there as well up at the top eyes around the living creatures they should be on the living creatures actually but they're around them um, uh, we've also got flashes of lightning and if you could hear it peals of thunder so they've put what's written here into a literal picture that's what you get. But the trouble is that by itself it doesn't really help us to see what this chapter is saying because of course it's a symbolic picture. It symbolizes something. Now the next picture on our screen is, is more familiar. That is a map of Broadfield, of Crawley, including our bit here. Um, probably looks familiar to you. You've probably seen maps like that before. Unfortunately, it's wrong, isn't it? It's completely wrong, that picture. Because according to this, the A23 should be yellow. Now, if you go out there and look at the A23, it is not yellow, is it? It's sort of black, sort of tarmac color. So the map must be wrong. Um, According to this map, the road outside here should be white. And it's not, is it? It's black. And it should have the letters, Coachman's Drive, painted on it in black. 
according to this picture. But it hasn't. So it's wrong. And if you wanted to go to K2, you'd have a problem because uh, there's a dirty great big number 33 blocking the road. <laughs> now we know that we're not meant to take a map, literally. It's symbolic. It's made up of symbols. And because we understand the symbols, we understand the map. And actually, uh, if I brought the, the map, the little book with me, uh, we could, I could have said, um, if there are any symbols we don't understand, you just go to the little key bit at the front, and it shows you, you know, this is a, an A road, this is a B road, this is a post office. You see, you've got a, you've got a clue, you've got the, the key to what the symbols mean. Now, Revelation, the book of Revelation, is also symbolic. The people who have first read it would have no difficulty understanding the symbols, just as we have no problem reading a map. Our problem when we come to Revelation is that we are unfamiliar with the symbols. And for us, there is no key to turn to. You can't look in the back of the book and find the, the answers to the symbols. But don't lose heart, because for the most part, with a bit of help, we can work out what most of the symbols mean in Revelation, if not all of them. Now, uh, we can blank the screen for a minute, thanks. Remember that Revelation was written to Christians who were, most of them, going through difficult times. They were facing persecution. As you saw in the letters to the seven churches, some of them had the problem of being weak and lukewarm, but some of them are facing severe persecution and learning what it was to stand firm in the face of uh, opposition. And that, of course, is not just something that happened hundreds of years ago. I read just this week that the, of all the world's religious groups, it is Christianity, far and away, which is the most persecuted group in the world. In Pakistan, in India, in Nepal, in China, in Turkmenistan, in Iran, in Iraq. And the list goes on and on of countries where to be a Christian is to face persecution day by day, week by week. Sometimes it's uh, the subtle sort of persecution where, where you're just discriminated against all the time. Your children can't get a proper education. You can't get a proper job. Sometimes it's... Uh, more, more physical, where you're actually attacked and churches are burnt down and, um, and attacked. Sometimes people are literally uh, in prison for their faith. Sometimes they're even put to death for their faith. So persecution is a very real issue for Christians today in our world. And the book of Revelation is especially important for them. They find it a really important book because it was written for people who are facing persecution. And for the first hearers of Revelation and the people who read it now, the message is, uh, is important that whatever appearances may seem to be on earth, the reality is that God reigns supreme in heaven and that he will defeat all evil in the end that meanwhile we are to live in obedience and faithfulness. So the, the kings of the earth, the, uh, the rulers in, um, you know, King, what's his name, Kim Jong-il 
in North Korea might think that he is in charge. But actually, Christians there can read this and know that God is in charge. And P, uh, the leaders in China might think that they're in charge and they decide who can worship and who can't. But actually, Christians in China can read this and know that God is in charge. And so on. So a word picture such as Revelation chapter 4 gives us and encourages the original readers to know that God is sovereign and therefore it encourages us to get our own problems into perspective. Because we may not be persecuted in the same way as, as some Christians are in some parts of the world, but we do have our problems, whether it's persecution or, or what it is. We've all got problems, and it's good to know, to get our perspective right, to know that God reigns in heaven. He is in charge. We don't understand everything from our perspective, but he does from his. And that's why it's good to focus on a picture like we're given in Revelation chapter 4, to get our mind straight on what heaven is about, on what worship is about, and on what God is really like. Now, I went to, uh, uh, sorry, the, the, um, we're going to have a go at interpreting the symbols uh, that we saw in that, in that picture, so that we can see what this chapter really means. In this vision of heaven, it says in verse 2 that uh, John is shown a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Now, I went to Buckingham Palace the other day. I'd love to see, yeah, 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 I did, I did. I'd love to say I was personally invited by the Queen, but I wasn't. I just went to the tourist, but we did see uh, the throne room, which, there it is. Um, actually, that's my front room at home. <laughs> yes, it's... Uh, Amazing. Anybody been? Have you been to Buckingham Palace, anybody? Yeah, it's, uh, it's worth seeing. Um, these state rooms, absolutely amazing, um, elaborate, fancy, beautiful rooms. And that is the throne room. So you can see the two thrones at the end there. One has a, an E on it for Elizabeth, and one has a P on it for Philip. Fancy that, eh? So uh, there they are. And it looks pretty splendid, and that's just Buckingham Palace. So you can imagine what the throne room of, of, of heaven, as it were, might be like. So the symbolism of saying that this is a throne room that we're shown here, well, that's not difficult, is it? Because thrones are for kings and queens. So if someone is sitting on the throne, we know that that is God, and we know that it, what it means is God is enthroned as king not king of the United Kingdom, but king of the entire universe. Now, uh, next picture, please. Uh, the Roman emperors in those days, uh, I think, um, do I want the next picture? Try the next picture, see what it is. No, no, I don't. Go back to the last one. Thank you. Uh, the Roman emperors were getting very big for their boots or their sandals in, at that period. They had immense wealth and power, and they were even claiming to be gods and to demand worship. So this vision 
of the throne is saying that there is one king above all of the other kings and there is one God to be worshipped. And the gemstones that are mentioned in verse 3, jasper and carnelian and the emerald rainbow, these are symbols of wealth, precious stones. So it's like saying that the whole world begons, be, belongs to God. He's got all these precious stones ar around him. So God is king. God has the wealth of the world. And then the picture describes 24 elders, it says, wearing crowns and seated on, on thrones themselves and worshipping God. Not quite sure who these 24 elders are. Maybe they represent the 12 tribes of Israel, the Old Testament, and the 12 apostles, the New Testament. So all the people of God worshipping him together, it could be that, or they could be just uh, angels, just angels, I mean, you know, angels, um, who are worshipping God. The point is, whoever they actually are, they are offering worship around the throne of God. In verse 5, we've got lightning and thunder mentioned, which usually in Revelation indicates that a great event is about to take place. And then we've got the seven lamps, also called the seven spirits, which represent the Holy Spirit. Seven being a perfect number in Revelation. We're told in verse 6 that the floor is like glass, like a sea of crystal clear glass. And it may surprise us that they had glass at all in those days, that, but they did. But it was very rare and very expensive, and crystal clear glass would be almost impossible to find. So again, it all speaks of magnificence and holiness, purity, cleanness. So we're building up this picture, what, what, what it all means. King on the throne, beautiful, um, precious stones, these people around worshipping. Next, we're introduced to these four living creatures with wings. Again, there's some form of angel. They're closer to the throne. They're covered with eyes, which is an odd thing to try and paint. But the eyes symbolize that they, they can see things. They have knowledge and understanding. They can see all things. And the four creatures actually have different faces. And this is the next, the next picture. Um, there's a lion for majesty and power. There's an ox for faithfulness. There's a man for intelligence. I'm not sure about that one. There's an eagle for sovereignty. In other words, they're an expression, an expression of what God is like. They kind of reflect his majesty and power, his faithfulness, his intelligence, and his sovereignty. And next picture again, back to that one. The function of all these beings, the four creatures and the 24 elders, is to worship. That's the whole point of this scene and of this chapter. God is worshipped, is entirely holy and entirely almighty. As we said a moment ago, this vision is being given to encourage Christians who are facing severe persecution. They're to gain comfort from knowing that no matter what appearances may be on earth, God reigns supreme in heaven. 
And as we find in the rest of the book, the time will come when all evil is defeated and the faithful are shown to be right. So God is being worshipped as the Lord of time, they say, who was and is and is to come. He's the Lord of all time as well as all space. The Lord of all creation. For you created all things and for your pleasure they were created. God is being worshipped in heaven as the Lord of everything, all time, all space. He is in charge. He is worthy to receive worship. Now, the Roman emperors, this is where this picture comes. Next one. Roman, Roman emperors in those days would return from a victory and would hold a triumphal procession. It was a great bit of uh, spin, really. Whether they'd won or not, they would come back uh, pretending that they had. The victory procession, triumphal arches, crowds cheering, no doubt stage managed. But they would shout, the crowds would shout, to the emperor, you are worthy. And the emperor Diocletian decided that he would go one better and get the crowds to shout, you are worthy, our Lord and our God. This was the cult of emperor worship, which the emperors thought was a great idea. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power, our Lord and our God the people would be told to say to the emperor. They might indeed claim glory and honor, but what they couldn't claim was to be the creator of heaven and earth. But when God is worshipped, the angels say, you are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created, and have their being. far superior to any Roman emperor or any other earthly ruler he's worshipped as the creator of the universe so last picture please back to that one this then is a vision of God in majesty and a vision of worship and worship because the word transformation was in our theme, wasn't it? Worship and transformation. We worship God. He is the one that's worshipped, but it's us who are transformed by worship. Worship takes our minds off our problems and difficulties and focus, focuses our minds on God. Worship causes us to think about God's character and his power and his holiness and his beauty. And worship lifts our perspective from the earthly to the heavenly. So we might ask, is this picture of worship, or this picture of worship in Revelation chapter 4, is it like the worship at Christ the Lord Broadfield? And the answer is, yes, it is. Well, it should be, and, and actually it is, and it can be. Because, and this is why paintings like that end up being a bit unhelpful, 
because it's not like that. We're not like that. We're not sitting around in white robes on thrones with crowns on our heads. But when we are offering God worship from our hearts and when we are acknowledging that he is the supreme Lord of heaven and earth and that he is the Lord of our lives and that he holds all things in his hands and that he is worthy to receive all honor and glory and power, then we are worshiping on earth as the angels are worshiping in heaven. So yes, our worship can be just like the worship of heaven. So shall we pray? Lord God, we thank you for this uh, glimpse you've given us into the, the worship of heaven. And we thank you that although sometimes life seems very difficult and the world seems such a mess, the reality is that you are enthroned in the heavenly places. And we ask that you'd give us a vision of heaven so that our worship on earth might be a reflection of the worship of heaven. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.